Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Waiting List Podcast. Of all the human emotions and feelings that we can live in, the two I find the most wasteful are jealousy and regret. I say they are wasteful because they take up time and energy that can never be replaced. And our guest today is Todd Searle. So Todd is an author of a book I was gifted recently called 32 Regrets. If you guys could see the number of highlights and post ticks I have on this book, you will know how much I learned. And I can't wait for you guys to take away at least a lesson or two from this podcast. So, Todd, welcome to the show. Uh, with that introduction, wow. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's awesome first... to meet you. Um, thank you for having me, you guys. God, yeah, that there was you go. Me. A blossoming yeah. writer right there. Yeah. How long did that take you? A whole week to write? <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I was, man, I'm like sweating. Okay, let me go back to my real self. Okay, so, Todd, <laughs> tell us a little, about, little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What were you doing before you wrote this book? Yeah, so I live in Chicago and I'm based in Chicago. Um, I'm a writer, photographer, advisor, and filmmaker uh, in the watch industry. So I work with brands, retailers, and collectors, um, brands and retails, retailers on the storytelling side and collectors on sort of the advisory side, learning about the watch market, learning about watches, and figuring out what they should add or subtract from their collection based on what they're doing. Um, I'm also a writer. Um, I write about the watch industry. Uh, I've written 32 Regrets, A Guide to Reclaiming Creativity. Um, and I did a lot of things before coming to writing and the watch industry. Um, I worked in apparel uh, development and design. I worked in uh, consulting and I worked in software sales. So I was a little all over the place before this, but all those things kind of helped shape what I bring to the watch industry and what helped shape 32 Regrets. God, I hate people like you. Like, like <laughs> when, we, when we interviewed Ming and then now you, I'm just like, how does it like fall into place? So I wouldn't say easily, but it just it just feels like everything fell into place. And I still feel like at 34, like, God, what am I doing with my life? Like every day I wake up, I'm like, what am I doing today? Uh, yeah, I so, honestly, it, it, it all yeah. kind of like fell into place. But as it was happening, it felt like complete chaos. Like there was it mm. felt like everything was kind of disjointed, like there was no structure there. But now as I look back at it and look at what I'm doing now, like it all makes sense to how it kind of all those experience played into it and, and gave mm. me the like skill set and the toolbox to do this. So mm -hmm. if you feel like that, like, don't worry, like, all of this can change. Um, and and what's so cool about this is like, everybody's creative, and, and you can figure out how to use that creativity to change what you're doing. Um, and it could only be a small portion of your time, but mm -hmm. it's, it's just like, it's one of those things, like I look back at my career path too, and I'm like, what was I doing? Like my resume looks like Swiss <laughs> cheese, but um, like, it's honestly like all those things helped mm -hmm. sort of create what I do now. So um, okay. I'm grateful for all those things. Okay. So if you had to describe 32 regrets in a nutshell, like what is the best way to describe this book? What is it really about? Yeah. 32 Regrets at its core is about reclaiming your creativity as an adult. Mm -hmm. So there were these two scientists who worked with NASA and the Apollo program uh, in the late 1960s. 
to figure out who are the most creative people at NASA to actually bring them on board to work on the Apollo program. And they figured out if they could test adults for how creative they are, they'd love to apply this study to children. And so they did this nationwide study of kids and they found out that five-year-olds scored in the 98% creative uh, region, which is like the most highly creative you could be. But as those kids aged and got older, they basically, their creativity just tailed off and it, it went to below 12%. And so one of those things that I learned is that everybody is born creative and everybody is a creator. And by school or by life, we kind of have it trained out of us a little bit. But this book is really about how do you get that creativity back? And how do you make space in your life to be creative? Even if you think to yourself, I'm not a creative person. This story is really about helping you find that creativity and finding ways and skills to bring creativity into your daily life. Okay. So my first question straight off from what you said is, that's great that you wrote this book, but why did you write the book? What was the incentive to write the book? Yeah. So Dan, I'll ask you a question too. Have you ever like sat in an office parking lot or been on the train going to work and being like, I could just go, I could turn around and go home right now and like call in sick and nobody would know. Yeah. Like, uh, it's quite well documented because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, 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 it's quite well documented that I was a dentist before, like I do what I do now. And, uh, um, yeah. you know, looking back knowing what I know now, you see, I hated that job, right? But, yeah. you know, the money's good and you're taught through society about certain things. And I thought that's how it was supposed to be because that's all I ever knew, right? Yeah. And it seemed yeah. to be doing the right thing. And everybody was saying great things around me, but I was like dying inside. And so every day before, I mean, your analogy was while you're on the bus, even before I was on the bus, as soon as I woke up, I used to like turn to my wife and say, I don't want to go to work today. And that was almost yeah. like a daily thing. And then obviously yeah. it, would be, it would be like a five minute thing. And then I'd, I'd go to the shower and then it would, my day would start. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's just it. And that's what was happening with me. Like I would sit in the office car park and just say like, okay, like the person who is at the front gate knows I was here, but nobody else from my office knows I'm here right now. I could just, turn the car back on, back out of this parking space and go home. And I found myself in this place of sort of deep unfulfillment and feeling like there had to be something more. There had to be something more creative and more fulfilling than what I was doing. And I wasn't getting that from my free time. And I wasn't spending that time working on creative projects. I was trying little things here and there. Like I dabbled with like cooking and photography and music. And I was trying little things here and there, but nothing really stuck with me. But for me, what really happened is I just kept finding myself in this, like I'd start a new job. I'd have this honeymoon period of about six months. And I'd be like, this is great. Like, I love the people. This is cool. And then like seven months, like day one, the same thing that you just described would happen to me. I'd wake up and be like, I don't want to go. I think there's, there's more fulfilling work out there. And so as I started to feel that, I started to kind of wonder what it was, was it something like inside of me? Or was there something wrong more broadly? Did we need to change something about how everyone around us looks at creativity and pursues creativity in their projects? And working for a software startup, I saw a lot of creativity. I saw a lot of people bringing all of their energy to that job. And it was amazing. And I, I really, that experience helped catalyze for me 
that we needed to have more creativity in our daily lives. And that's what really started me down this journey. And the, the impetus really was actually talking to a professor from Georgetown. Um, I went there for graduate school, graduated, and this professor reached out to me on, on LinkedIn and said, hey, like, you have a great background. I'd love to have you as a resource for my students. And I was like, what do you need, you know, like alumni resources for? Like you have an entire office who can connect you to people who are like far smarter, far more influential than I am. And he said, no, no, I teach entrepreneurship to students through uh, the process of writing a book. And you have a really interesting background and you're connected to a lot of people. So you might be able to help some of my students connect to interesting people. And I asked him about writing a book and I said, why do you do this through writing a book? And the guy's name is Eric Custer, by the way. Um, and Eric um, was incredibly cool, gracious with his time. And we started talking and he said, you know, like, what, you know, what are you doing now? What would you like to be doing? Maybe you should write a book. And that sort of planted the seed in my head that, yeah, this is something I'd love to do. Because I think there's a story that's relatable for everyone mm -hmm. in here um, about waking up and feeling unfulfilled daily. And I think that's a story that that everyone understands. Yeah, I, it's kind of fair because I think there's so many similarities when I'm hearing you speak about, you know, I've always wanted to write a book about my life, um, but I don't think it's that point where I feel more things need to happen. But that particular difficult phase, I, I really wish to share with people because uh, I think there's certain things that, for example, I think it needs a lot of courage for a start. Yeah. Like there's a lot of fear to changing what you know in your routine and then doing something else. I think it takes a lot of courage. And I'm not talking about changing once. I'm talking constantly changing until you find the right path. And I think a lot of people don't do that for, you know, for sensible reasons, actually. And, yeah, you know, not just because of courage. But also, I, I always feel that, I don't know if you've thought this, Todd, wouldn't the world be a much better place? And where would we be if everybody that actually was doing what they actually really liked, you know? Yeah. You know, how how far, far more effective would we be if everybody was reaching their full potential almost in their job rather than people like at 50, 60%, maybe even less because their yeah. priority is really to pay the bills. Yeah, absolutely. I think about that all the time. So yeah. if this if this book could help a couple of people start down that creative path and, and find something that they truly love doing, I think that's a huge win for me. Um, and this wasn't about really uh, reaching, you know, tens of millions of people. It was reaching out mm -hmm. to the people like you guys who mm -hmm. needed to hear that message or who mm -hmm. felt that same way. And wanted to feel like they had been seen um, and reassured that like they're simply not alone in this uh, phenomenon. Mm. You, you mentioned something in yeah. just just in your answer, which was they did this test and they talked about creativity and as kids, and then they measured it, and it seems to tail off. I'm sure you've thought about it. Why did why does it tail off? So one of the things that that um, they surmised from their research was that school kind of trains it out of you. Um, mm -hmm. trains creativity out of you. Like we think about, uh, like think about like math classes, um, social studies, history, science, a lot of the basic building blocks of that stuff are just memorizing facts. Um, and I, I think about this all the time because 
I come up with answers to questions and I'm like, why do I know that? Like, why is that just ingrained in the back of my head? Because I had to memorize it at some Mm -hmm. point to pass a test or to uh, do well in school. And so what happens is we, there are really two patterns of thinking. There's convergent thinking and divergent thinking. And convergent thinking is like the thinking, assessing, analyzing, judging, and reaching a conclusion. And it's like, it's the logical path of thinking. It's like, let's take all these ideas or like a mathematical proof where you'd go through mm. each process of the proof and say like, yep, this is, this is it. Um, like this, this is the one answer to this question. And divergent mm. thinking is much more of the blue sky. What if thinking and what they surmise happens is we stop practicing divergent thinking and we start practicing convergent thinking more frequently. So we start to train our brain. And you can't actually do both of those forms of thinking at the same time, which is something that something like school asks us to do. We can't do both of those things because they did MRIs and actually the neurons in your brain start to fight each other for power for each of those Mm -hmm. forms of thinking. So you have to do them individually. Um, And what happens, I think, is that we don't make enough time for the blue sky, what if divergent thinking in our lives. Mm -hmm. We answer things by logic and logic and process of elimination by necessity so many times um mm-hmm. and just like out of necessity to pay the bills to go to work to provide for families like this is what we have to do but in divergent thinking it's a little bit more blue sky it's a little bit more what if what are the possibilities and i think that's one of the biggest takeaways i had was just practice more divergent thinking in your life think about what if think about the possibilities what could be and dedicate a little bit of time to that and mm. as i started to do that it started to become clear to me the path that i wanted to travel and so i'd urge people who are kind of in this position to think more about divergent thinking dedicate you know an hour 15 minutes to start to this process and start using it as a guide for where you'd like to go and when you know mm-hmm. where you'd like to go, you can figure out what the building blocks are to get there. Even if it's really, you know, um, there's there's um, a woman named Ellen Bennett uh, who formed a, an apron company named Headley and Bennett. Um, mm-hmm. And I absolutely love her story, but she has this great quote about um, business, no matter how complex it is, it's just a series of small steps taken one after mm-hmm. the other. Um, and if you can understand what those small steps are, you can start moving towards that goal. Um, and so that's that's the one thing that I think really changes in us and why creativity really dies off. Because when you're younger, you have things like art class and recess. Um, but I've noticed that things like art class, shop class, things where you're using more sort of like broad-based thinking about what you'd like to see mm-hmm. are kind of going by the wayside in favor of uh, science, technology, engineering, and math, which is not a bad thing at all. I think those are really important, but I also think we have to balance that with sort of the art and the answering the more divergent thinking part of our brain. Sorry, Mm -hmm. Dan, that was a very rambling answer for a a relatively easy question. Can I just make a point, Dan, before you come in? Because I want to say that part of the reason this book is so like easy to digest is you actually give real examples of what to do because I think a lot of people that listen to this they're like yeah no shit I know I'm trying (laughs) but then they're like but just tell me exactly what I need to do and actually one of the things that you suggested 
I had always been doing, but in short form. So I didn't even know this thing existed. And he has this thing where he suggests that you write this thing called a dream essay. And you also catalog how you're using your time daily. So can you just explain the dream essay? Because I've been doing this in like short paragraphs throughout my life. Like every time I just feel bad, I'll do it. But I'll write like, and I'll write in detail, like up to, I even write up to like, this is what the coffee smells like. And I can hear the birds out there on the tree. I describe everything. And a lot of the things that have happened in my life since I would say like everything I've dreamed of since I was young that has happened now, I've been doing this. So I just like want someone else to like experience this like quote unquote magic. So can you just explain yeah. the the essay thing, dream essay? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think two things there. One of the book has in its uh, component chapters, there is homework. So there is there are sort of assignments and things you can take away to do. And one of those is the dream essay. Um, and, and one of those, the other thing is cataloging your time. And I think in order to make time for creativity, you have to understand how you're using your time daily. And so it can be just, you know, sort of like a week's worth of time where you're just writing down like, okay, I wake up at 6 a.m., um, make coffee, shower, I'm out the door at 6.30, and just kind of walk through your day so you understand where your time is really flowing. It's kind of like an hourglass, right? Like um, when the sand is flowing, you're like, yeah, don't worry, there's still time left. And then that's empty. And you're like, I didn't get anything done during this time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think understanding where your time goes is really important. And then the dream essay is really about thinking, it's really about engaging the divergent thinking side of your brain and really understanding what you want your life to look like. And that's what you want your life to look like It could be in the next year, the next five years, 10 years, 15 years. And I would ask that you imagine your life through all phases of life. So Mm -hmm. in the next year, in the next five years, in the next 10 years, and then like, what do you want sort of, this is morbid, but the end of your life to look like too, because Mm -hmm. you don't want to look back on a, on a book full of regrets. You want to look back on something that you did something that you're insanely proud of. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that takes a lot of courage and a lot of work to be able to do those things. But in the dream essay, go into as much detail as possible about your current state and your daily routine and what you'd like that to look like. So Lung Lung, to your example, like I wake up, I can hear the birds chirping and singing. I Mm -hmm. make coffee. It smells however you like your coffee to smell. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I personally am a a Central America coffee kind of guy. So I like those, like, uh, just going into some personal details here, but Mm -hmm. like milk chocolate, like flavor Mm -hmm. of coffee. And so write in vivid detail what your day looks like. What does your office or your workspace look like? Your studio look like? Mm -hmm. What is it that you're going in to do every day? Who do you Mm -hmm. work with? Do you work with family members? Do you work with friends? Uh, Do you work with your current colleagues? How does that Mm -hmm. change over time? What's your current state of your business? What would you like your business to be doing? Um, so like if you're an advertising agency, who are your current clients? How do you serve them best right now? What is it that you, who is it that you want to get as a client in the next year, in the next two years, in the next five years? And by defining that stuff, you actually sort of lay a path for yourself. You say like, okay, not only is this reasonable, this is possible. And I see how I can do it. And for me, like 
there's stuff that I want to do, but I know it's five years out and I'm an anxious person to begin with. And I'm like, I just want to do that thing right now. But I know that there are building blocks that have to be tackled in order to get there. And by writing this dream essay, you actually start to lay the foundations for yourself. And to go back to what um, Ellen Bennett said, you actually know what the small building blocks of your life are then. And then from that dream essay, that's where you really like get the blue sky, like big picture, like best scenario. And then from that, you can draw those steps that you need to take. And so this is, I think, where regret comes into it. Because when you know those steps, the onus is on you. All you have to do is act. All you have to do is take those actions. And okay, that account may or may not work out for various business reasons. Um, they might already have somebody doing it. They might have a long-term contract with another advertising agency in this scenario. But it doesn't mean that you can't get them or excuse me, or somebody else to come in um, mm -hmm. and, and take on as a client. So the dream essay is a really powerful thing. And for me, it's a really fundamental thing because it allows you to understand where you are and what you want. And then it gives mm. you that pathway to bridge that gap. Mm. Dan, do yeah, you remember was, your, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I remember question. it because um, yeah. all the, 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 what Todd is saying mm -hmm. reminds me of the question that, well, not really, I don't know if it's a question, but something that just came to mind about the divergent thinking and mm -hmm. writing the dream essay, mm -hmm. which is, um, you know, do you think, I don't know how I'm going to word this, but as human beings, you know, we're a slave to convenience. And, yeah. but, you know, to write that dream essay, you actually have to realize first that there's a problem. Yeah. Or something yeah. not quite right. Yeah. But as, uh, what I find is, you know, we're so set in a routine in our adult lives where, you know what, like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And in those little small steps, actually, it's not like, you know, you're happy here and then you're unhappy. It's not like a massive step, but actually these it's these little steps that actually where you're losing your your soul, so to speak. And um I just I just feel that that's why I mentioned about the, the word courage. Because yeah. to suddenly stop, because what you're saying is you actually need to stop for a minute. And the divergent thinking is almost like a delayed gratification, but in yeah. uh, in 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 our human nature, we don't really do that great. With I mean, most of people's lives here have probably got social media. The, the way you know every all our lives are, it's almost everything's about instant gratification. So just to even put the stop in is quite difficult, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. Absolutely. I think you're absolutely right, too. I think the the first thing that you have to do is kind of accept that you're not happy with your reality. Um, and that's that's one of the things that I mentioned in the book. It's this feeling of being getting comfortable, being uncomfortable. And it's an uncomfortable thought to go, I am not happy and I don't know what I have to do to fix it, but I know something isn't right. And it's so uncomfortable and so like you said, like anti our current way of living where everything is very convenient and just kind of like laid out for you. Um, and so you have to get comfortable with the fact that this is going to be an uncomfortable process and then give mm -hmm. yourself permission to actually create and do these dream essays. And 
do the work to lay the building blocks. And I think if you can get to that point and accept that what you're doing right now isn't comfortable or where you're at is worse, but you can get better. Like things can get better. Um, and and um, I interviewed an Olympic athlete uh, named Sheena Lorick for the book. And she has this great quote about, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Like mm. I could stay the same or I could change. Um, mm. And there's a great F. Scott Fitzgerald quote about that as well, where like you can change or you can stay the same. It's never too late or never too early. Um, but I hope you make a change. So Do you think that you can tell when you talk to people? Because mm. I feel like out of 10 people that I speak to, it's lucky for me to even meet one person where you're just like, you genuinely are like full, like your heart is full. You love what you do and you're just beaming. Because I think, especially in the watch collecting circle and just like the watch industry in general, everybody has this like front, right? You come with the best, yeah. like whatever. But I'm always like, nah, I mean, well, <laughs> obviously like, um, you know, spend a lot of time like buying these things and like you know um there must be some missing parts in our lives that like you know we feel the need to like fill up with these kind of things so um do you think you can tell when you meet people now um no i think it's really hard i think people okay. wear a lot of masks um and and the watch collecting community uh is is a great example of that sometimes you can i feel like you can sort of tell right away with somebody mm -hmm. but i think you made a really important point and it's something i think about all the time about like what's missing from our lives that we chase watches um <laughs> and that we chase these things and i know it's like <laughs> it's a silly thing but yeah. i think about it all the time and i'm like what's broken inside of me that i yeah. want this yeah. um or that like <laughs> like what what yeah. needs soothing or healing right now yeah um and it it's interesting you know i, I think a lot of people are very fulfilled um, I think it's easier to tell actually with watchmakers and with brands when you meet somebody who's truly fulfilled and is living um, a life that they're really proud of. Um, like mm -hmm. when we did Seeking Perfect with Denny Flagellet, um, mm -hmm. like seeing Denny at work, like, you know, he's in his element and he is at his creative best and he's doing what he loves. Um, and when he's out in the forest chopping woods, chopping wood or looking for um, like iron ore to smelt in his forge into cases, you can mm -hmm. tell that he's in his element. And then you go to watches and wonders or um, uh, uh, blah, 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 Geneva watch week. What is that mm -hmm. called? What is it? Sorry. The, Geneva, the watch show in August. Geneva watch days. Thank you. Geneva watch week. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm good at remembering industry terms. Um <laughs> <laughs> he, he, you see him you see him there at like one of the forums it's a really he's creative so name out of it. Geneva he's so <laughs> exactly he's, they clearly uh, didn't he, hire you <laughs> <laughs> hashtag should have hired Todd um, <laughs> he uh you know like you see him at Geneva watch days and he is just like out of his element and like you can tell that like this is not his thing and like the admiration and the people telling him how great he is isn't really his thing but when he's in his workshop you're like, yeah, that guy is totally in his element. So I think in the watch industry with uh, makers and brands, it's much easier to know who is really in their element. Um, and I find in the collector community, it's a lot harder. Mm. 
I was going to ask you, like, are you, where are you along that journey? Are you where you want to be? Are you in your element, you know, or yeah, are you still in sure. a work in progress? Because I, I see myself as like, when you talk about the dream essay, right? I'm not there, but you know what? I'm actually on the right train. Yeah, um, I'm with you. I feel I feel 100% there. I am on the right train. I'm going in the right direction. Um, and actually, this conversation is inspiring me to rewrite my dream essay because um, I've accomplished a lot of what I set out to do. And I think we often don't take a moment to appreciate just how far we've come sometimes. And I think right now, like just having this conversation is inspiring me to, to write my own version of a dream essay, which by the way, I should point out, you need to do by hand, not on a mm. computer, not with any screens present. You actually have to write it by hand because for those of us who've learned Chinese and studied Chinese characters, the tactile feedback of writing characters solidifies that idea in your brain. And so mm. when you have the tactile feedback of writing a dream essay by hand, you start to solidify those ideas in your brain and you can't ignore them then. And I think the best part about the dream essay is not being able to ignore the fact that there are other things that you want to do with your life or other things that you want to accomplish because you're far more capable than you give yourself credit for in most cases. Um, and so I think I'm on the right train. I'm definitely a work in progress still. I've accomplished a lot of what I wanted to do. There's still a lot more that I want to do. Um, and it's a, a question of, you know, opening, you've got lots of doors in front of you. It's a question of opening a door and stepping through into another room that's full of doors. And then knocking on those doors, opening the next door, and moving into the next room. And it's just mm -hmm. a constant small step process to get there. Okay. I have a question about, um, have you heard the term toxic positivity? Yes. Very familiar. Okay. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's popular on social media and everything. And um, so for people that don't know, you basically try to take something like, I would say like a shitty experience and you're trying to see the good from the situation so for example bad relationship and then you come out of it and then you're like well i learned this this and this and then you try to be positive right but what is your view on this do you really think that this is healthy or do you think there are times like you can just be like oh it was just shit you know <laughs> yeah i yeah. think that's i think that's human and i think it's right to be like oh that sucked or like that was shitty <laughs> that was a like that was that was a like you know, I've gotten uh, responses from people to some of my work that I'm like, well, that's shit. Like that sucks. Like I didn't need to hear that. Like, yeah. um, and that stuff kind of like, it hurts. And mm -hmm. instead of being like, you know what, I'm really positive about this. Like his, like, you know, his uh, comment on my social media post really means that he loves me. And like, I, I don't, I don't take it that way. Like, Mm -hmm. It's okay for things to just suck sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. And my wife and I have this thing where we'll talk to each other and we'll be like, you know, if we're complaining about something or we had kind of a shit day or something didn't go the way we anticipated it going, we'll talk and be like, "Do what do you want right now? Do you want commiseration? Do you want somebody to be like, man, that <laughs> sucks? Or do you want me to be like, well, actually what I, I think is happening here and what I think you should do, yeah. like, do you yeah. want advice or do you want commiseration? Yeah. And I think- you have to make that choice. And I think like 
that's such a great thing that that we've put into practice that like I put into practice with my friends now and I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, man, are you looking for like commiseration or do you want advice? <laughs> Cause I'll do, I'll do either one, whichever one yeah. you want, but like it's the worst when, when you're yeah. looking for commiseration and someone's like, well, let me tell you what I think you should do. <laughs> yeah. and oh, you're like, yes. You said, I'm not ready for that. I don't know if yet. I could swear. I have yeah. some choice words about no, that. No, you but... can. I'm like, I'll definitely be like, shut the fuck up. Like, straight yeah, exactly. Like, just yeah. kind of like, fuck off. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. just, just be with me here in this moment yeah. of like, this sucks. And like, yeah. once you get, once you acknowledge that like, it sucks or, or something that happened to you was crappy, mm-hmm. you can move on from it. And yeah. like, you don't have to dwell on it, but I do yeah. think you have to process it out. And okay. I think- Toxic positivity is a dangerous thing because if everything is good, then nothing is bad. It's kind of like mm. prioritization. If everything is a top priority, then nothing is a top priority and nothing's going to get done. Mm-hmm. And so I think like it's just natural in the human range of emotions for things to suck and for things mm-hmm. to hurt or be bad. And mm. we can't turn everything that's negative into a positive. But, mm. you know, I, I do think to contrast that, like, I don't life as win or lose or like, oh, man, that like, I really screwed that up. Like, okay. Like, how did I screw that up? And like, mm. I could, I could take a learning lesson from it. It doesn't have to be positive, mm. but I could, you know, I could learn that like, man, like this is just not my priority or not my thing. And like, somebody might ask me to to do something that just like, doesn't feel good and I knew it didn't feel good in the moment and it wasn't something I wanted to do. And like, we, mm-hmm. I think that's relatable for all humans is like, if somebody asks you to like go out to dinner and you're like, yeah, I'll go. And then you're like, the day comes and you're like, shit, I should not yeah, have said yes yeah, to this. And yeah. then you're like, I want to bail. And then you go yeah. and you like, if you don't have a good time, like there, I do think there's a, a lesson in something like that. But yeah. do I think like we have to turn it into the like, most positive thing and be Ted Lasso about it. Like, yeah. No, yeah. I think it's it's okay. Yeah, I think okay. it's uh, yeah. it's okay to feel bad. Do you know what I mean about something? Because we're all human mm-hmm. beings, and so we we are supposed to feel stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But it's normal. But, I mean, it's, yeah, it's part of the human range normal. of emotions. But I, yeah. I also think sometimes when you something shit happens, sometimes like the the lesson is smack bang in your face, and you, it's so obvious. Ah, oh, yeah, fuck that up. But then yeah. sometimes like it isn't obvious. And then you just go, to, I, I go to myself, mm. well, it put myself, could I have done it differently? And if yeah. the answer is like, not a, not an obvious no, yeah, mm-hmm. or yes, yeah, sorry. Then I'd be like, yeah. all right, well, try not to take it too personally and just move on to the next thing. Because I think being in that mindset of, I think we should all be able to like drown in our sorrows a little bit. But mm-hmm. totally, if you stay in that zone, you just can't progress to the next thing. So mm. I think you can't stay in that zone. Yeah. Okay. There's a, um, yeah. just really quickly on that. There's yeah. a guy named Peter Crone who calls himself mm-hmm. the mind architect. And he mm-hmm. has this whole structure about like, it couldn't have happened any differently than it did because it didn't. And as soon as you accept that it couldn't have happened differently because it's in the mm-hmm. past and you can't yeah. change that, it's much easier to accept or figure out like, okay, did I screw this up? Or like you said, Dan, like, was this just a thing that happened and I didn't have any control in this situation? Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then cool, you can move on from that. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't think like dwelling on it and regretting something 
are, you know, regrets are some of the most powerful emotions that you can have. Mm. And it was the second most commonly named an emotion in a study of British adults. Um, mm. And that's like, that's terrifying. And regret yeah. only happens like when you have agency in the decision. Um, and if you didn't have any agency in it, uh, you might feel sorrow about it, but you don't feel regret. Mm. Um, and so like in this situation where like, if you were in a situation where you had an opportunity to um, pitch a client and win their business and you mm. just didn't prepare and screwed it up, mm. like you will probably feel some regret over that because you could have spent in hindsight, you probably could have spent more time on it. But at the time you either were really like thought you had this locked up or like mm. thought it was a sure thing, or you just didn't have time and you had other variables going on in your life that didn't give you the time to prepare. Mm. Um, and that's just a lesson that you can take and say like, okay, I need to spend an hour preparing for these before this mm. meeting happens um, mm. or whatever amount of time you need. Mm. Okay. I have a question that comes up frequently with, I would say more girls than guys. And they always come to me and they'll say things like, well, then it's easy for you to be creative because you already have a hobby or you, you have a passion towards something. Mm. Then you just go and explore that. So then where do I start? I don't have a hobby. And then I will be like, well, just think about like, what do you do when you're bored? Like, what's mm. your natural instinct? Like, do you watch TV? Do you shop? Because you can still be creative, even if, if it's like shopping is your thing. You can be creative because you can make a blog about fashion, right? There's lots of things you can do. But if somebody listening right now says to you, okay, Todd, I have like no passion, no hobby, and I just go to work and I come back, how can they start being creative? Like, how would they know? Yeah. So first of all, if you're listening to this, you probably already do have a hobby because you're listening to a watch podcast. So okay. obviously you have an interest <laughs> in watches. So yeah. let's start from that. Um, mm -hmm. But I think you're absolutely right. Like, I, For me, curiosity is creativity. So mm -hmm. think about what you're curious about. Like you said, the example you gave, like, do you shop? Do you watch TV? Like, what mm -hmm. do you do in your free time? Like, what are mm -hmm. those things that you're doing? And if what you're doing in your free time isn't giving you fulfillment, think about what else you're curious about. Like on your commute to work, do you see something that fascinates you every day? Do you pass mm -hmm. by like um, an art gallery or do you pass by a like park and you look at the trees and you're like, hey, I wonder like how those got there. Like, how did this city kind of evolve or develop? Like, be curious about everything in your daily life. And if you can be curious, it's really mm -hmm. easy to find hobbies and find things that interest you. And that curiosity is creativity because it's making your mind wonder, what if, or like, what happened here? And so you want to learn the story and you want to kind of get deeper into that subject. So pay attention to the areas in your life where you're curious. And what I'd suggest is like, Everybody carries a smartphone with them now or a notebook. Mm -hmm. Write down what it is that makes you curious. Just like keep a list of the things that like pique your curiosity in daily life. And also mm -hmm. like, I think this is why it's really important to look at how you structure your time and what you're doing in that free time. Because mm -hmm. your curiosity might be like rugby and you mm -hmm. might watch rugby and you might want to start writing about rugby. Um, mm -hmm. And if you are spending your time like watching rugby, you know all the players, you know the statistics, there's an avenue there for you. And you can you can explore that and you can go into that. So I think spend your time looking at what you're curious about or what fascinates you, and then go from there. Like that's the first building block. 
Okay. Good advice. Okay. Well, last question before we go to the reverse around, I mean, this is a watch podcast, so I know you love watches as well. Um, tell us what it is about watches that you love and do you have any regrets there? Yeah. Um, so what, this is, this is a great question. I hope you have another hour scheduled for this podcast. Um, I we should get you on for another episode to talk about watches. And yeah. all the regrets you have. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And all the and shit all buys the you for. That could take, that yeah. could taste, that could take at least an hour. So, uh, if you want advisory services, uh, just wait for the part two episode where we talk about all the crap buys we've made over time. Um, so my story really begins when I was six years old. Like I just fell head over heels in love with watches without knowing it. Um, my dad was in finance. He and all his like colleagues wore this boring finance guy of the 80s outfit. It's like Oxford shirts, khaki pants, brown leather <laughs> shoes, and a gold Rolex, right? Or a gold okay. watch of some sort. Like okay. that was the uniform. Yeah. And I saw one of his colleagues wearing a dive watch on a yellow rubber strap with a yellow dial. And I went like in my brain, it just clicked instantly. And I was like, oh, that's different. That's a, that's a cool form of self-expression. Why mm -hmm. is that different from what everybody else is wearing? And from that moment on, I dragged my parents into every store that had watches in the window. It doesn't matter if it was a hardware store with like Timex watches or like yeah. the yeah. Timex Iron Man in the window yeah. or like a high-end luxury watch boutique. I didn't know the difference between any of those watches. I was just like, these things are cool and I want to learn yeah. about them. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it, it's always something I've been interested in. And then when I was working, um, my first job, um, I had a boss who was really interested in watches too. So we would mm -hmm. talk about watches and like Hodinkee was starting at that point, Uncrate, Gear Patrol. So we'd like look at those websites and look at those new releases and talk about them. Mm -hmm. um, and so that really started the curiosity. And then you start to get into this world and you're like, okay, I want to buy my first watch. Mm. And what do you do? You go out and buy like whatever is popular at that point in time. So this was a point in time when like the uh, Jaeger uh, Navy SEALs watch was out. Mm -hmm. Panerai mm -hmm. was really popular. Rolex <laughs> obviously was really yeah. popular. So like you go out and you like look at those three watches and you buy a Panerai. And then you're like, oh, okay, this was cool. You wear it for like two yeah. months and you're like, yeah, um, I'm over it. You go, yeah. you trade it in and you buy mm -hmm. a like Rolex mm -hmm. and then you go from there and it just kind of builds and you start mm -hmm. to learn about the industry. You start to learn about these brands. And when you're first starting, it's really daunting because you don't know anything. You don't know if anything is like good or of good quality. And like, we yeah. should caveat that by saying most things that are by reputable reputable brands are of quality at this point. Like mm -hmm. the whole industry is at such a quality standard that like mm -hmm. you shouldn't have concerns over the quality of a okay. watch, but mm -hmm. you start to like look at watches and you're overwhelmed by the possibilities basically. Um, and yeah. I sort of regret like the first, I don't know, uh, five years of my collecting journey because I was okay. just like buying, selling, trading stuff. It's like, you know, I yeah. got into it and I was like, okay, buy, sell, trade, upgrade, yeah. like yeah. trade this in to get the like newer version of it. Yeah. Um, one of my biggest regrets was um, actually bought a Rolex Deep Sea, um, okay. like back when they first came out. And that thing was huge and heavy. Um, yeah. And it ended up on my desk as a paperweight most days <laughs> by like 
by like noon, I couldn't so stand bad. it on my wrist as I was typing. And like, yeah, I would set yeah. it on my desk and it became a desk clock. Um, oh so like, there's a regret in there, but yeah, I don't, you know, I, I think everything kind of added up to a, to my learning process and helping me understand the, the watch industry. And I was so curious about it that it, getting to experience a lot of different watches was actually really beneficial for me um, mm-hmm. and really helpful because now like when I meet people at events or, you know, go to like brand brand dinners or brand events and talk to people, it gives me a really great appreciation for where people are in sort of the collecting spectrum. Like if yeah. you're brand new and you're just really hyped on watches and you want to learn anything, yeah. it's really easy to talk to that person as mm-hmm. much as it is easy to talk to like the seasoned collector who's been collecting independence since 1975. Um, okay. okay. But be honest though. Do you like talking to the people who just got into it? And they're yeah, trying to I think, flex their Rolex though. <laughs> yeah. It, like, it gives me hope. It like, it restores my hope a little bit because like, okay. I think as you get deep into this industry, like yeah. you can get a little jaded and you mm-hmm. can kind of like lose perspective and like, we could talk probably all day about like auction results, hype watches, yeah. what's been happening in the market of late. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I love meeting that person who just bought their first Rolex and like actually had a guy I went to college with reach out to me and be like, so you're a watch guy. And I was like, hi, yeah, yeah good to hear from you too. Yeah. Like, yeah. thanks. And he's like, I yeah. want to get uh, a Rolex Submariner. Like it's the only watch I want. I just want to buy one watch and like be done. And I was like, okay, well, like my only advice for you is go get on every list that you can get on at any store Mm -hmm. that will take your name. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like a year passes, maybe two years, he calls me up and he's like, hey, I got my watch. And I'm like, great, congratulations. And he's like, yeah, Yeah. now I'm on the wait list for a GMT master for Daytona. (laughs) And I was like, good for you. Like for me, that was like, that was the best thing because he was so adamant that he was going to be a one watch like guy. And I was like, just be careful with that because it's a, it's a thing like the watch industry is sneaky. Like it grabs you and, and like exactly. it really takes hold of you. And yeah. so I love seeing that person who's got their first watch and is so excited about it and so geeked about it and probably like no. doesn't even know how it works, but it's yeah. just excited to have it. Because for me, that gives me like the energy to be like, oh my God, there are like, there are new people coming into this. Like, <laughs> th- we're not all yeah. like jaded and like nope i'm in this lane this is what i do like there are people who just like are getting into this and love it because they love it and that makes me very happy okay i have a follow-up question then do you like what would you tell your like 10 year ago self then like what would you not do there's no advice that i could probably give myself that would like set me up for the work i've done with independent watchmakers because I think you have to go through that process. You have to work with, like you have to do big brands like Rolex, Omega, Mm -hmm. Jaeger, Panerai. Like you have to come in through one of those routes Mm -hmm. to appreciate and understand the rest of the industry. And so like, yeah, I could go, you know, in hindsight, I could go back and Mm -hmm. say like, hey, Todd, buy every Rolex in stainless steel, like every stainless steel Rolex sports model that you could buy and sell it in late 2020 because <laughs> like, you know, like it's a back to the future type yeah. scenario, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, there's that, but I think you, those, like those early, that early collecting journey is so like informative to, to sort of helping you learn who you are and what you like and what your style is. Um, yeah. And obviously that changes. And like, 
with the with the pandemic, with the sort of relaxation of dress codes everywhere, like I don't think that any advice that I give gave myself now for like me 10 or 12 years ago would have a significant impact. Like I, I mm. guess that I'd probably end up in the same place. Um, mm. But like, there's a lot of variables to take into account there. So if you're just getting started with watches, just enjoy it. Like buy stuff that you love, enjoy mm. the watch that you have. And like, just, you know, like, like you said in the beginning of this podcast, like jealousy is a waste of time. Just yeah. enjoy your watches, wear them, and like, don't worry about what anybody else thinks about what's on your wrist. If you love it, you love it, and that's all that matters. Okay, good advice. Well, let's move on to the reverse around. So, you know, questions, I'm ready. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I guess the first thing I'd love to hear from from both of you, having listened to the podcast for so long, I'd love to know, and like, you guys are, are deep in the watch industry, I'd love to know what is something that you wish people knew about watches or the watch industry that most people don't know? Oh, okay. I have an answer. I'll go first. Go for um, it. I wish that um, everyone knew how clueless and um, yeah, how clueless the marketing team is and how lost they are and how much they need help. <laughs> So they would not take the marketing so seriously and then play the game like that. You don't have to go and try and understand like, why is this person so high up on the list? And I've been waiting for a year. Things don't have to make sense. They just work that way because that's just the way it works. Like if you know the right person, if you say the right thing and blah, 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 it, it is just like that. But then the only choice you have is to be like, hey, this brand is not respectful. So I'm going to walk away and go to another one. Instead of wasting so much energy being like, why is it like this? Why is it like that? Like, just, you know, just be chill. Just be like, okay, next one. That's what That's I want. That's a good answer. Know. That's a really good answer, actually. And that is, yeah. I feel like that is very honest yeah. advice. Yeah. So I've got an answer, but it's going to sound like, it's going to sound like I kind of, well, it's going to sound like I'm emphasizing for Phillips. But well, you what, are. <laughs> it's what I. It's what I actually think is. Okay. Because no, I, I didn't. I didn't do this right, but I didn't appreciate that. Actually, as a watch collector of any level, right, like entry level, even if you can't afford these things, you can go to an auction preview, sit there with a the catalog which has got a shit ton of information, and ask people to take the watches out and have a look and learn. And 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 my whole journey from going into the watch store meeting watch collectors uh forming shanghai watch gang and everything like that was actually just to see more watches uh, initially right and i if i had known or felt comfortable enough to well i didn't know to be honest that you could just go into the auction and just bring and, and look, play and touch these watches right and, and some of the rarest watches and i would have taken like much more liberty with that you know and actually gone and done it and i i Unfortunately, I kind of only realized when I actually joined, you know, mm. the, 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 the auction and, mm. uh, you know, I was talking to Thomas and he still remembers the days when Ben Clymer was starting her dinky and he just used to go into the back and just like read the catalog and just play with the watches and, and read everything about the watches. And I, I would say, yeah, I wish I could tell more people that are enthusiast level, which, you know, can't necessarily afford these things that it's 
that that is an av- that's a, a channel where you can touch and feel the watches uh and learn more about the watches because for me at least the knowledge side of watches is the thing that really stimulates me yeah yeah mm. collector collector is a mindset it doesn't matter if you can afford these watches or not i think you're absolutely right go and learn like if you love mm. watches and watchmaking the auction previews are such a great way to get to see watches and to get to understand more about watches and the auction catalogs have a great wealth of information in them and like it's just it's a free resource for you yeah it's also more efficient you can go yeah because like totally. i don't have to meet x and so to meet them for a coffee and see their watch right they're all there yeah and if you went yeah. to i mean all the auction previews are pretty much aligned no matter which auction house there are right so it's like literally that whole week or whatever you can just go to town and just get so much more, so much experience with the watches. Yeah, than you would you wouldn't yeah. normally have. Yeah, it's just more efficient. Yeah, <laughs> where else can you see and like everything from like a, a truly a classic, beautiful example of a Perpec- Patek Perpetual Calendar. Perpec, mm-hmm. it's the new name for the Patek <laughs> Perpetuals. <laughs> uh, if like where else can you see a a classic Patek Perpetual Calendar? And like an MBNF in the mm. same room, yeah. uh, like it's just like it's so cool to be able to see that range of watches, and I think that's that's one of those things um, yeah. that that is a great piece of advice. Um, mm. I've got one more for you if we've got time. Sure. I'd love to know what your watch guilty pleasure is, like whether it's oh. a brand or a watch that is just a like complete guilty pleasure for you. Oh. Okay, I'll go because I spent like the whole of yesterday at work doing this. So it's like, I feel so bad because it's like all the tabs are open on my laptop still. Um, (laughs) uh, Because of the pandemic. Okay, so if you go back to the older episodes, I've constantly been going on about like, yeah, you know, at the end of the day and you collect everything, eventually everyone will go back and they will be like, you know, I'm going to buy vintage paddock and then that's it or a vintage Rolex. And then the more I think about like, well, if I want to live my life to the max, then like what would bring me maximum enjoyment? And I had this conversation with someone recently out of everything that I've owned and worn and seen and all the times I've stopped at traffic lights when I'm driving, only two brands have made me go like, I'm so lucky. Like, how did I get so lucky? One, uh, Gem said Rolexes and then two, Rich and Mill. So brand wise, like I spent the whole of yesterday looking at Richard Mill. I went through the whole website again and I just thought, what a ridiculous brand. Nothing makes sense. None of these prices make sense. But then why does it make me feel this way? Why is it that when I put one on and I wear one, I just feel like a different person? Like just mm-hmm. why? Um, mm-hmm. So Richard Mill for me. Yeah. Um, guilty pleasure. Your hublo. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I I kind of probably would say like Casio G-Shocks. Mm-hmm. Like not because yeah. like I have many of them, except I have been looking at them because I keep going back to that John Mayer Hadinki version, the first one, right? Yeah. And I feel like eventually I'm going to get him, get it. Yeah. Um and there's part of me which I just love because I'm in suits all the time right now. And I'm in this kind of like where you're meeting um, collectors and enthusiasts, which you're collecting at a very high level. And there's part of me where, you know, 
I just want to be a different person, which is not that, which is just yeah. like me and my like skate gear, you know, baggy cords, you know, vans and street fashion stuff. And for that day, I'm not seeing anybody. And I'll just wear my G-Shock and nobody knows, needs to know what I actually do or the people I meet. And, uh, you know, I just, it's like, a, I, mean, I kind of see it as a toy in a way, you know, and I kind of like the, like the justification of that, the way it's just so different to mm. what my daily life is like. So I think that's a bit, of, obviously, if I would start wearing G-Shocks to work, you know, it would be probably classified as inappropriate, but <laughs> So, so yeah, right. So I you get a like strongly worded letter. Yeah. That, uh, well, I advises guess, you not. To I think wear I get some strong, strong looks for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but then you know the the reason why I like the John Mayer dinky is because that's one of those G shocks which, while I'm slumming it down, if I wore it, people that are in watches they'd still know, you know, they'd yeah. still know that oh he's yeah. a watch guy. So I kind of mm. like that. Yeah. Yeah, oh. for sure. It's definitely, uh, I feel like we live in a definitely, uh, if you know, you know, kind mm. of uh, collector world right now. Yeah. 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 All right. Final round, quick fire. So short questions and short answers. Got it. Okay. Any regret, big or small, you had recently? Ooh, I'm going to have to think about that for a moment. Um, hmm. Yeah, maybe publishing a piece about OnlyWatch because we don't oh. know the full story. Where and, can I read that? Um, you can read it on my site, ftscreates.com. Okay. Um, okay. I'll give you, uh, I can give you the link okay. and, and everything, but wrote a piece on OnlyWatch and then uh, had a piece going about auction shenanigans in Geneva and just mm -hmm. said, you know what? There are a lot of people commenting on this. I'm good. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a pause here. Mm -hmm. um, and so... Regret might be a strong emotion for that piece, but I think until we know the full story, um, I'm not going to comment anymore. But I, okay. I think um, I think we need to learn what's what's going on with um, yeah. with Only Watch, and and I think for me, like um, the big regret there is actually not seeing the pieces that that the brands and the watchmakers have put so much time and effort mm -hmm. into come mm -hmm. to auction. Um, mm -hmm. because I got to see a lot of those pieces and they are fantastic. Like they're just, mm -hmm. they're just stunning. So, um, yeah. I think for now, like, um, I'm going to wait and see mode with that and with, uh, with other auction stuff that's going on. Okay. If you could live in someone else's body for 24 hours, who would it be? Ooh, this is a good question mm -hmm. in, in many forms. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a that's a that's a tough question to answer um i'm trying to think about like alternate universes like outside of the watch industry too like yeah. um who who would i want to be um david man. beckham david beckham what? uh Why? david beckham at like 27 28 i mean like the guy's perfect specimen man but I just want to know what it's like to be that <laughs> but, perfect but did you see the documentary and how everyone hated him yeah, of course. I was there, you know, when <laughs> I followed his whole career. But I didn't say like, you know, you said his body. So I was like, well, if you talk about body, you know, oh, then right. that, you know, okay. you didn't say yeah. his life yeah, so experience. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's a difference between like body and mind. 
uh, <laughs> here. But uh, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a blend yeah. here outside of the watch yeah. industry. Uh, yeah. If you haven't watched 14 Peaks, uh, it's awesome. Yeah. And the the guy who is the um, may, you know the protagonist of the story is a guy named mm-hmm. Nim Nimsdai Perja, who mm-hmm. um, is from Nepal. He mm-hmm. was a Gurkha in the British Army. He joined the British Special Boat Service, um, and then um, went back to high altitude mountain climbing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he he climbed all fourteen of the highest peaks in one season, which is like mm-hmm. unreasonable to do. And yeah. half the time they were partying in Kathmandu, and they were yeah. like climbing hungover. <laughs> and I just like for twenty four yeah. hours, I would like to know what it's like to be that physically gifted and capable. Yeah. And yeah. to have that mindset of like, nothing is impossible. I can do anything I want. Like whether seasonality and logic be damned. Uh, okay. I think that's who I'd, I'd like to be for 24 hours. Okay. Good answer. Okay. The last time something pleasant happened to you. Um, this morning, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, waking my daughter up before I came over here to, uh, to get on this podcast with you guys. Um, got to take my dog for a walk this morning. It's sunny Mm -hmm. here. It's beautiful. I got to wake my daughter up. Uh, her hair is amazing and ridiculous. Uh, and it was all over the place this morning and it was just like perfect. And so she looked like she was in a hairband from the 1980s. And that was like a very pleasant way to start my day. That's sweet. Okay. Your favorite time of the day. Morning. Okay. One thing most people take for granted. Life. Okay. Last one. Um, will this be the only book that you write? Hell no. There's okay. a lot more books that I want to write. Mm-hmm. Um, there's multiple stories that I want to write right now. Um, and I actually think part of what I'm doing with with publishing uh, my work sort of on a weekly basis is exploring what those ideas are and seeing what sticks right now. Okay. There's one story in the watch industry that I absolutely love and would love to tell. Um, and I know all the players in that story and it's just mm-hmm. a hard story to get started on. And mm-hmm. I've already made a, a start on it. So I think that book will be next. And then um, I would love to genuinely love to write a history of independent watchmaking, modern independent mm-hmm. watchmaking, mm-hmm. and really be able to connect all the dots from all the players, um, and not just the big names, but like we saw at GPHG, like uh, Sven Anderson and Vincent Calabrese mm-hmm. getting honored mm-hmm. uh, for their contributions to independent watchmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's such a great story there, and I would love to write that book. Okay, well, looking forward to reading that. Thank you for your time, Todd. Um, I really hope you enjoyed this and it wasn't too like crazy and all over the place. <laughs> no, this was this was awesome, you guys. And um, yep. I have a little freebie for all of your listeners mm-hmm. and uh, I'll give you guys a link for that. But mm-hmm. um, it's basically like a quick start guide for reclaiming your creativity. Um, cool. And so I would love to to link that here in the show notes if that's possible. Okay, um, okay. And sure. um, just tell people like, if you're listening, like go out there, write your dream essay and and start mm. making those small incremental steps. Like Agreed. the only thing that's needed is for you to take action. Yeah. And for everyone that wants to read the book, I know you're on Amazon and yeah, you're on a- Amazon and I'm sure they can just order, right? Directly. Can they order yeah. from you? Yeah. Um, not through my website, but it's on okay. Amazon. It's on um, 
Apple Books. It's on sort of all of the major uh, publishing and ebook platforms. So if you're looking for it, it's out there. Um, and if you're having trouble find it, just uh, or having trouble finding it, just reach out. Yeah. And uh, if they want to watch Seeking Perfect, I know it's on YouTube, but where else yep. can they watch it? Uh, SeekingPerfectFilm.com. Okay. Well, that's all, guys. As always, um, you can find Dan, me, and Jacqueline on the Waiting List Podcast IG page. And Todd, where can they find you? I am at FTS.Creates on Instagram. You can find me there or at FTSCreates.com. Okay, great. So thank you all for listening, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys. As always, thank you for listening to the Waiting List Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.